For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And if you remember later during episode two of season four, Jamie is looking to buy that house and his real dad tells him, son, it's time to start growing your own shadow. I mean, that's just good fatherly advice, isn't it? <laughs> We're two weeks into the fourth season of Yellowstone, and we know everything and nothing. I'm Addison Haker, and this is your one courtesy spoiler alert. If you're not through episode three, I won't be mad if you come back later. John Dutton learned that a man named Riggins ordered the attacks on him, but the problem is no one knows Riggins. Billy Dukes is on hand to explain why Jimmy's plotline is essential if Monica will leave Casey, and why everyone is wrong about one specific character. But first, if you're a fan of Yellowstone and looking forward to the spinoff 1883, tap follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review if applicable. We're also looking for your questions and comments at staff at tasteofcountry.com. At the end of today's episode, we'll address three questions that shaped how we viewed what happened. This is episode number two of Dutton Rules, a podcast focused on Yellowstone and 1883. And just like last week, I promise not to let you get buried if you're new to the television dynasty. All questions are good questions. I'm the novice, Billy's the nerd, so let's bring him right now. Hello, Addison! Hey, hey! Okay, Billy, we have a lot to talk about. I know last episode we went over one and two, but today's three, and it's it's a meaty one. And also, I'm excited because today we'll get to introduce some fan feedback, which last time it was just the two of us mm-hmm. talking, and now we get more opinions and questions and... Everyone's got an opinion, but they're all good. Like, the conversation has been really enjoyable, and emails and in the comments section, and however people have gotten hold of us. And today, we get to discuss a new theory about the Yellowstone character that that you think everyone has wrong. Right. And I also want to spend a little bit of time on what's up with Jimmy and mm-hmm. Walker, the, the Wranglers, and how that's not important, but also very important. I was telling you before we hit record, they spend a good amount of this episode on him. Yeah, they're they're well featured throughout this, and I think they're kind of setting up something big, but it might not be pertinent to what happens throughout the rest of season four. Mm-hmm. And just real quick to something that I kind of questioned in the beginning, and maybe some fans might as well. So Casey and them, they're livestock agents. Can they just go around killing, like when they were going after the militia <laughs> in the beginning? I'm like, is this even legal? To just go around killing them like that? Please clarify this, Billy. (laughs) Can they just go around killing people? I literally was like, I don't, I really don't think I'm, is this legal? I'm assuming no. Yeah, I think they are running a little bit of an old West kind of (laughs) system up there. I mean, it's a little bit like that rattlesnake from episode one that kills Rourke. Right. Like in reality, a rattlesnake wouldn't kill someone as quickly as it killed Rourke. Right. And people have kind of caught on to that. So I think they're stretching the... 
the boundaries or the capabilities of the livestock agency. Uh, you'll see that they worked a lot with SWAT, though, during yes. those opening raids. Yes. Um, so he was just a part of it. And they had kind of just cause for all the killings that happened during those opening frames. Uh, people were either going for a gun or trying to get away. They might have been pretty quick with the trigger. Um, but I think probably it's one of those things where no one's going to rat them out because there was no witnesses outside of the law enforcement that were there. Right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that was just something that kind of stuck out in the beginning of like, okay, how realistic is this? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's been kind of the theme throughout the first three seasons, too. Like the livestock agency, they run pretty free and loose with the rules. Like, Amen. Like, I'm like, who are you? <laughs> yeah, they they seem to be the baddest men in town. And I don't really think that's the case. Uh, <laughs> no, I but, don't think so. Not out here in Texas. <laughs> Yeah, whoever the livestock commissioner is currently in Montana is getting a little bit of a bad name. Or people are scared, terrified of him or her. Right, maybe he should be on the podcast. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> You're welcome, that one's free. <laughs> Episode three was pretty sublime until the very end. I don't know if we want to touch there first or if we want to... Yeah, I, w I do want to get to the end. But, but there is sort of this poetry that happens at the beginning of episodes uh, we we heard the masculine tones of Coulter Wall as all the gunshots and screaming was happening during the SWAT. Mm -hmm. uh, and every episode is almost like that. It starts with like, um, you know, all this beautiful nature surrounding the Yellowstone Dutton Ranch. And then after a couple of minutes, you get to the violence and the drama and some of the heavy handed stuff that happens. It always opens with the open fields, horses, and even the first episode with the bombing and all the above, it goes silent for a little bit, which I feel like it probably emotionally and mentally prepares you for, you know, to not breathe the rest of the 45 minutes. But yeah, it's just, it looks serene. And then, boom. Then the killing starts. And then <laughs> the killing starts. <laughs> Where do you want to start today? Um, let's start, you touched on it a little bit, but I say let's dive right in and talk about Jimmy, Walker, and the Four Sixes Ranch and how, you know, this episode spent so, like you said, we probably won't be seeing them, you know, the rest of the, the season, but we spend so much time, I'm assuming that's to set up for potentially a different, you know. A, a new spinoff. Thank you. A new yes. series. Yes. Yeah. The, and that's confirmed. It was confirmed earlier this year. The Four mm -hmm. Sixes Ranch um, are a spinoff based on that. I think I can't recall the title or even if they've settled on the title. Sometimes titles change, too. Originally, 1883, the Tim McGraw prequel. Originally, that was called Why 1883, and they changed it to just 1883 kind of right. recently. But that's where I believe we're heading here. And some people in the comments and the, some of the feedback we've gotten Agree with me, and I think you too, that the Jimmy Mia situation was a little bit of a, a wet blanket on yeah. an otherwise sort of exciting series. I feel like they're probably going away for a while, literally and, and, and figuratively. Uh, Jimmy gets in the truck to go with Travis, who's played by Taylor Sheridan, and they go to Texas. They go to that ranch. Mm -hmm. We find out that Walker used to work on that ranch. And in doing a little bit of research, I found out that Walker is also going to be a part of of this new series that's coming up, uh, the next Taylor Sheridan. He's building a franchise here with 1883, Yellowstone, and then the Four Sixes. Uh, Jimmy, the actor who plays Jimmy, is going to be on that show. And then Ryan Bingham, who plays Walker, is also going to be a part of that show. I don't know what happens there. It's not only a, a great cattle ranch known for the, the having the best horses, 
they had oil on that land as well, and that helped them sort of subsidize a lot of what they do and, and fend off anybody who's trying to develop that land. Earlier this year, Taylor Sheridan bought that property. He led a group of investors and paid like $341 million. He was probably just the face of it. I don't think he has that kind of money yet. And, and they bought the whole Four Sixes ranch, presumably, so they could kind of shoot this show on the cheap and then, you know, take advantage of the, the oil and all the other benefits that come with it. He's brilliant. I mean, to, you know, create, he's creating this little empire, if you will. And it's, the show's doing well. You know, you have to, you have to be able to build on that momentum. And he has done that. But, well, what do you think the pivot is then to come into this season four? Do you think the pivot is you're now kind of getting other viewers because of 1883, almost like country fans who are going, I love Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, never seen Yellowstone, but heck, why not? To me, they're setting up, they're spending a lot of time setting up these other series. They're, they set up 1883 in episode one, and now they're setting up the four sixes, which we don't even really have any hard details on what that's going to be. I think the action with Jimmy and Walker will come back around because um, one of John's goals during season four is to build this sort of all-world rodeo team and be, be known for having this great rodeo team and, and these great horses. And uh, Travis, who is the lead of that, Taylor Sheridan's character, is sort of the head of all of that. Um, so I do think that plot, like Jimmy and Walker may weave back in like every mm -hmm. episode, they might kind of come in and out like a, a winding road. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, especially Jimmy, I don't know that we'll see a lot of Jimmy and Mia, at least for the next few weeks, for sure. And eventually, maybe even Walker will go away as well. Yeah. Again. Well, and real quick, before we jump off of Jimmy and Walker and all of them, I just want to take a moment at, <laughs> at and I've told you this before, Travis's shirt. Before he gets into, we have to talk about it. You know we have to talk about it. It, it says... Your girlfriend keeps looking at me. Is he wrong? No, he's not. <laughs> We've also talked about him. He's chef's kiss, as I said. He is, he is a handsome man. Like, I am not going to take my wife to meet that man. Um, <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. Interesting costume. I'm curious to keep an eye on that mm -hmm. to see if that becomes a thing like Beth quotes. You know, we have all these great Beth quotes each episode. I wonder if Travis's t-shirts are going to be kind of their and own thing. And soon we'll see those for sale at the, the merchandise store at Yellowstone's website. Exactly. <laughs> Whoever's listening right now, you guys also start keeping a tab of right now we're one. <laughs> we have one graphic tee. So this episode, we know who actually ordered the attacks. We do, but we really don't. Like, we know the guy's name is Riggins, right? And you only know that if you stopped and really zoomed in on the file that he gets. Uh, here, here's what happens if if you've forgotten or if you're listening to this podcast having not watched episode three, which seems like a bit of a mistake, but you do you. Um, <laughs> Rainwater, Thomas Rainwater, and Mo, they hold a guy captive who was the party planner for the attacks. They eventually beat the information out of him. And they, he, that guy gives up a name. The guy's name is Riggins, who is in jail currently in state penitentiary. And no one knows who he is. Uh, Rainwater, Moe, uh, don't know who he is. John Dutton doesn't know who he is. He's like a big, bald, thuggish-looking jail dude. He kind of looks like some of those white militia guys that we had, the attackers. But as it turns out, he was the one who hired the militia to attack the Duttons. 
Whether someone or not hired Riggins kind of remains to be seen, but right now it's all signs are pointing that um, Riggins was acting independently, but no one really understands why. So pretty much they gave us a little bit of a nugget and then they left us. Yeah, they totally did. So you kind of have to start asking questions like, Mm -hmm. who might know Riggins? And there's a lot of people who have done jail time on this show. Uh, Walker was in in prison for seven years. Um, Lloyd, who is one of the older Wranglers, were led to believe that he was in prison for a while. And then Jamie's father, Garrett, was in prison. Mm -hmm. I don't believe he was in the same prison, though. Like, realistically, when someone's in prison, they kind of go in and out through different prisons. But I thought they said that Garrett was in a different prison. And the prison that they refer to Riggins being in seems to have a different name or be the state penitentiary. Um, I'm not sure that they were in the same prison. But at this point, that's still kind of ambiguous. Billy, there were so many theories about Yellowstone heading into season four. And so far, about half have been proven as totally wrong. We know Thomas Rainwater and the indigenous tribes didn't plan the attack because they really took great pains to find out who did it and then hand-delivered that information to John Dutton. Their fear was that the attacker could come after them next. Well, and then market equities was more or less cleared in a conversation between Caroline Warner and the lawyer, who, does does he even have a name? <laughs> <laughs> he does. I don't know what it is. Uh, I never really liked this theory because market equities... They need the state government to be an ally, and the attackers attacked Casey in a state office in broad daylight. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It felt too violent. And I know at the end of season three that Rourke alludes to more people coming up to help out that guy, Wade Morrow, who had been antagonizing the Duttons. But it's a really long way from messing with a man's fence to attacking a whole dang ranch with automatic guns and clown masks. Rourke's cavalry... It might just be one of those famous Yellowstone loose ends that we sort of have to live with. Right. Like the little boy who had the lug nuts right before John got (laughs) shot up. Yeah. What other theories did people have? Some of them were a little bit fringe, like this idea that Walker is an FBI informant or that a biker gang from season three, episode four, going back to Cali was somehow back. I suppose that biker gang theory is still out there, but those dudes seemed like knuckleheads to me. I mean, they just seemed happy to be alive. So that leaves Jamie and his real dad. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this is who we've gotten all wrong. Jamie, he's proven he's pretty incompetent as a villain. And there's no reason to believe that Jamie's real dad is out there living a life of crime and trying to get his son involved in a murder plot, other than the fact that Jamie was the only one of the Duttons who didn't get shot. But his father seems like a pretty evil dude. They do a really good job of not making him. I mean, Jamie's kind of this clean cut dude. Mm -hmm. And you pivot to his dad and you're like, ooh, let's put two opposites together. Here we are. You see, Addison, this is where we need to check our perceptions. (laughs) What has Garrett Randall done that is truly evil? He killed a woman. Okay, he did. But didn't even that have some virtue? I mean, he knew if he didn't kill... Jamie would be living a a life of crime, he'd be in jail, he'd be dead, he'd be a drug addict. So he sacrificed himself. He was really pretty grateful for John Dutton and his wife and what they did for Jamie. Grateful. They sent him to Harvard for Pete's sake. There wasn't any animosity. I think, I think, by targeting him, we're showing our cultural bias towards convicted criminals, 
even those who have done their time, this to me is more about not allowing a man to prove he's rehabilitated. And I'm really struggling with this idea that he spent 40 years in jail plotting his revenge because really, what did he have to avenge? You know, when we first meet him, the dude's making a pretty honest wage. I mean, you have great points and I definitely, I can see, I can see and I can get on board with it. But what about all the talk about kill the king then? Yeah, he told Jamie that Yellowstone wasn't a ranch, but an empire. And the way to take an empire is to kill the king. That can easily be viewed as a metaphor in the full context of the conversation. And I'd argue it really would be if Garrett was wearing a suit and a tie instead of um, tradesman's clothes. Jamie was pretty frustrated at the time that all of his work on Yellowstone was going to be wasted because John Dutton wasn't really doing anything with it. He was looking for some guidance from a father figure, and he couldn't get that from John. Garrett's point of view is not really the most progressive. He's not a Renaissance man. But I don't think it's a threat either. There's a lot of ways to kill a king, like, say, selling his land out from under him, which is what Jamie says he's going to do. And if you remember later, during episode two of season four, Jamie is looking to buy that house, and his real dad tells him, Son, it's time to start growing your own shadow. I mean, that's just good fatherly advice, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> he does need to grow his own shadow. He's a golden retriever of a character. There's nothing but what one might call circumstantial evidence that he wants John Dutton dead. If you ask me, Garrett Randall sounds like the kind of guy I'd like to have beers with. Oh my gosh. Well, first off, I knew that your impersonations were going to come in at some point after the <laughs> teaser, and here they are. But okay, come on. I'm not letting you off this easy because while I may be the novice to your nerd on this show, I do recall that there is beef between John and Garrett. John told Jamie in season three, episode eight, The Beating, that he and his wife begged Jamie's birth mom, fearing something like that had happened to her. That's true. Good research there. And a great theory is that somehow John or John's late wife were kin to Jamie's real mom. I think eventually we're going to find out something there. But when Jamie finally showed up at his garage and introduced himself, Garrett didn't recognize him. If he was busy planning an attack that was going to occur days later, he'd have a pretty good idea on the principal characters, wouldn't he? Yes, but you'd have beers with him? Okay, maybe one beer in public. Yeah, there we go. By the way, how have your predictions done so far on Yellowstone? Well, I did insist that Malcolm Beck wasn't dead. Uh, that seems to not be the case. You also went all in on the idea that Casey was dead and talking to John as a ghost, which I will say I got pretty hyped about that thought. I got a little excited, a little, a little over the tips of my skis mm -hmm. on that theory. But this one, Addison, this one's for real. <laughs> we'll drink to that. <laughs> for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to Dutton Rules, a Yellowstone in 1883 podcast. I'm Addison Haker, and Billy Dukes and I are about to focus on key questions heading into episode four, five, and six, plus share an update on 1883 with Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. If you like what you're hearing, let us know with a thumbs up, a positive rating, or just by telling a friend. Okay, back to the show. Quick question about Casey. Why is Casey doing the old man's dirty work? 
You're talking about Emmett, who's having some neighbor problems. His neighbor has put up a, a cattle guard? Yes, that is what it's called. It's so uh, the cattle, there's little slats in between, so their hoofs will fall through it he, if they walk over it. So He doesn't want cattle walking down that road that mm-hmm. the cattle are allowed to walk down. Um, so Emmett has to pay a lot of money to transport them, and it's a whole big deal. Emmett is a very influential member of the um, Livestock Commission. He's a very important character. And at the end of season three, he and some other of his friends come to Casey and say they want him to run for governor when the next governor's race comes because the current governor, who John has a little bit of a fling with, is either on her way out of office or she's terming out. I, I can't recall exactly which it is, but they want Casey to run for governor. We don't hear anything about it after that because then the attacks happen and now it's been several months. But Emmett was back in the building. And I think this is going to set up maybe a little bit more about that plot line. Jamie running for governor or at least getting a little bit more in, in pol- involved in politics. I don't think anything's going to happen to Casey for what he did. He threw that neighbor under the cattle guard, which was <laughs> that was pretty fantastic. I mean, that guy looked like a real D-bag, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Well, honestly, <laughs> I was like, that's brilliant. And also, you really escalated the situation from zero to 100. But welcome to Yellowstone. Yep, yep, you don't mess with the Duttons, and apparently, as we mentioned, you don't mess with the Livestock Commission. Nope, nope. <laughs> well, and speaking of, since we're on the Casey topic, I mm-hmm. want to talk about Monica and Tate, and the really, really, mm. the, the the strong line that it was three words, but man. Did that hit you, watching that, like, as oh. is just, like, I mean, you just feel mm-hmm. like those words stung Casey, but they stung the viewer, too. That was her... Her best acting, I feel. Oh, she did great because it was very, very just dainty, potentially is the wrong word, but it wasn't like she yelled the line. Um, You could just tell the emotion and pain behind her. And you're also feeling pain of like, ah, you know, you feel for both of them for two different reasons. She's such a conflicted character and people have such a wide range of opinions on Monica. A lot of people don't like her because she is kind of... I don't know, wishy-washy, like sometimes she's pro-violence, most of the time she's not. Um, She doesn't always seem to support Casey. Mm -hmm. Uh, She wants to be on the ranch. She doesn't want to be on the ranch. Here's the one thing I think you got to remember about her is she's pretty young, and Casey's pretty young too, but I think Monica, Casey's much more mature than than Monica is. I think on the show they're in their mid-20s, and they have an older kid. Maybe she's like 28, I don't know, but she's... I forgive her a lot for a lot of that, just on, on account of her youth. But yeah, when she says, I hate you, that stung. And it, it made me think of our interview with actor Kelsey Absill, where she all but admits that Monica is kind of here for the long haul on the Dutton Ranch. Mm-hmm. So there's either going to be a lot more drama or some sort of reconciliation. Probably both. I kind of feel like they're we're going to hold on to the drama for a little bit and then move into you know, them coming back together. But even Tate in that scene. He was good. He was so good. He was good. And then he kind of just pops out of it. <laughs> yeah. Like Casey's like, go eat your dinner. He's like, oh, all right. That's right. pretty good. <laughs> and, and well, I think that was all to set up the fact that when he had said it's Monica, it's because of you that he's scared. He's not actually scared. But yeah, I did think I'm like, man, we really, uh, we really turned that switch off of like, okay, dinner time. Yeah. It was a lot of rodeoing and, and your girlfriend's looking at me and then the the switch flipped and we went up to that bedroom. I like what they did with Monica and Casey and some people don't. Some people hated how we didn't see them at all until this point of the third episode. But I thought that really set up sort of this mystery of where are they. Mm-hmm. And when we finally got there, it helped us sort of 
understand and appreciate the gravity of what they were dealing with. Yes, I absolutely agree. And I don't think that her I hate you line and all that would have carried as much weight if we had seen them beforehand. But are people upset that we haven't seen them because they were concerned that they were dead? Or why are people upset? Not because they thought they were dead, more so just they thought they didn't get to them. Like, there's been some criticism that the first episodes have been a little bit scattered and a little bit all over the place, which I can understand to a certain point. I mean, there's some new plot lines being introduced with Travis and his rodeo team. We're trying to find the attackers. There's the market equities build. Um, Jamie's got his whole plot line. We're still trying to figure out if Rip and Beth are married. And then Tate, I mean, like, there's a lot of things to sort of keep track on. It seemed like they had dropped the Monica and Tate ball for most of three episodes. But I think in actuality, they were setting up this moment. And now from here forward, you know, we didn't see Jamie at all in episode three. Yeah. No one's too mad about that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that says more about Jamie as a character. People don't love Jamie. No, that's (laughs) That's why I had nothing to say to that. I was like, actually, I kind of feel the same way. Poor Jamie. He's not. I I mean... I have more of an emotional tie to Monica and Tate, where Jamie, I'm like, I mean, he's a, they don't set him up as this nice, warm, friendly dude. He just isn't anything all the way. You know, <laughs> like he sometimes is slimy. He sometimes is just insecure. Sometimes he tries to act confident and evil. Sometimes he tries to do the right thing. Like, it's a guy that, like, you wouldn't trust if, like, he was, in your friend's circle. We mentioned this before in the previous two episodes, but if you guys have any questions or thoughts, theories, all the above, you can email staff at tasteofcountry.com. And fans did. They came with Mm -hmm. questions and comments. And so I'd love to dive into those if you're ready. If you're ready to answer them. Okay. Tresha wrote in and asked, just watch your theories on who is after the Duttons. Well, you forgot the father of the rodeo girl who got attacked. The father owed Jamie a favor and his cowboy hat. Jamie said, quote, he might ask for it. Just a theory. Thanks, Tresha. This goes back to season three, episode three, an acceptable surrender during that brief brief time when Jamie was the livestock commissioner. I don't really want to get into that deep into that plot, but he helped out a local rancher. He did him real solid by taking care of some bad dudes who were messing with his daughter. And after that, he said that the rancher would owe Jamie a favor for, for doing it. That guy seemed pretty domesticated. I mm-hmm. didn't get a feeling that he was capable of some really bad events like this. It does seem like that theory is still out there. You know, it's sort of like the gun in the drawer. In a theater play, you always know that gun in the drawer is going to come at the end of the play. But right. there's so many of those. We talked about one earlier with Rourke mm-hmm. and his, you know, his his cavalry coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be a loose end. Jamie may call on that dude, but they'd really have to find a way to reintroduce that guy at at this point, because I certainly don't remember what he looks like. Alrighty, Anna Marie is next, and she says, I think that the least expected persons did the attack. If the Duttons are teaming up with people, then their enemies probably are as well. It's going to be a combination of peoples. Maybe even someone unexpected like the newspaper lady's girlfriend. Interesting. Or Jamie's biological dad. She's talking about the newspaper woman's girl, the reporter who had information on Jamie. Jamie did an interview with the reporter and basically out of the Duttons. And to silence that story, Jamie killed the the woman. Uh, that woman had a girlfriend. That'd be odd. I mean, she's like a, 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 a city girl who lives in an apartment. Like, 
She didn't seem capable of putting on the old clown mask and getting out of there with her AK-47s. Right. Uh, More realistic that I didn't like is that, like, when you have a big report like that, you keep an editor up to date on, like, what you've found and where the story's going and even where you're going to be. And the newspaper story went totally cold, and that's a little bit unrealistic, I think. You would think that there'd be some editor who at least would pick up the reporting and share what um, Jamie... Dutton had said about John Dutton. That didn't happen. I don't think the girlfriend's involved in the killing. That'd be kind of hot, though. <laughs> well, sorry, us, us being in the yeah, but yeah, Billy, did you want a tangent on that? <laughs> no, no, I'm good there. I'm good there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jacob, he wrote on YouTube in the comment section: Is Casey actually dead? Because John was really the only one who was interacting with Casey, like a sixth sense type of deal. This one, okay. <laughs> I was here for it. <laughs> we both were. And this was after the premiere episodes. Uh, I think now after episode three, it's pretty clear that Casey is alive. Yeah, he's alive. And the reason why this theory looked so good is because Casey, like the first time we see him, uh, or can remember seeing him, he kind of comes out of the bushes wearing like that camouflage gear. Mm-hmm. And you could think like, oh, that really is sort of like a spiritual thing that only John saw. Mm-hmm. And then in episode two, we see him in the mountaintop hot spring. And Having again, that feels like that could be like a, a, a spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. We overlook, though, the conversation that Casey, John, and Rip had about whether or not they could trust Travis. And the fact that before Casey went up to the hot springs, he got in a truck and started driving. So like unless the spirit has like a spiritual truck or someone just looked <laughs> off and saw a truck driving itself, like the carrot theory kind of crumbled. Again, I think we got a little ahead of ourselves on this one, but it was an exciting time. It, it was. We did get a little ahead of ourselves, <laughs> but I will say even the truck, I could, you know, get to the point where it was like, well, that could even been metaphorical like that might not or not metaphorical that could have like that could have not been an actual thing like someone would have looked off in the distance not have seen a truck i'm a i'm truck i'm going way too deep here but i'm just saying that, still that, that happened. <laughs> it was a lot of justifying simpler theory casey's still alive and that's yes. where we ended up i think all in all okay finally one person asked what it's called when travis the rodeo guy also the guy who wore the graphic tee and his friends run and stop a horse. I mean, this 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 is a question for anybody who lives in this city and doesn't know what the heck's going on at the rodeo. I didn't. I think a lot of people might not have known what cutting was either, which mm-hmm. is what Travis is doing on the horse in previous episodes, where they're kind of going back and forth in front of a cattle. What the horse sliding stop thing is, is part of reining, and reining is an event in the rodeo that specifically is the sliding stop. The distance matters as they're trying to both slide and kind of continue walking at the same time. It's kind of a cool thing. It's a real crowd pleaser at the rodeos, that and the the riding in circles when the horses go in circles. Crowds mm-hmm. really enjoy that. And it would seem that Travis's team is really, really good at it. In fact, someone on YouTube even mentioned that one of the guys that's on his team is an actual real life, like world champion uh, rodeo oh, champion. Oh, that's really cool. I wonder which one. They may have had a few plants on the show to sort of bolster the, the realism of the rodeo. Next week, we've got a special episode of the podcast, Taste of Country, Sterling Whitaker talked to Kelly Riley, who plays Beth Dutton, and we're going to roll that interview back in full as a bonus episode. And there are more of those to come over the next several weeks. Billy, before we go, what have we learned about the spinoff 1883? 
Not a whole lot is new. Uh, the show didn't flash back to it again, but you are starting to see some more imagery, however, like wagons up in flames. Uh, I also took a look at the unofficial cast list and characters. A lot of them we know, obviously, James Dutton, Margaret Dutton, Tim McGraw-Faith-Hill, um, their kids, Billy Bob Thornton's character, but some of the other character names kind of point to maybe the mood and the tone of the show. Like, I'm just going to read a few of them. Russian emigrant, cowboy, prostitute, livery worker, prostitute, Prussian thief, Prussian man, red dress, boy, young woman, uh, bar patron, cowgirl, cowgirl, livery worker, bartender, um, coach passenger. So I think a Civil War soldier, Latino cowboy, who is played by someone named Stephen Mitchell. Uh, um, maybe Stephen Mitchell is Latino. It doesn't seem like that's the most Latino name, but what do I know about young Stephen? Uh, so like you kind of get a feel for maybe what the show has in mind or some of the, the grittier themes yeah. of 1883 as we get a little bit closer to it. That's all for this week's episode of Dutton Rules. Remember, a bonus episode drops next Tuesday featuring an interview with actor Kelly Riley, who plays Beth Dutton. Is she anything like the character she portrays? I'm Addison Hager, and I want to thank the thousands who've listened and the tens of thousands who've watched and engaged with our video content on YouTube. We respond to as many comments and questions as we can, which is most of them. And yes, it is either Billy or myself talking to you. Dutton Rules, a Yellowstone in 1883 podcast is written by myself and Billy Dukes and produced by Billy Dukes. For more great Yellowstone insight, find us on YouTube by searching Taste of Country and Yellowstone. If you've not tapped follow, please do it now on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening. Dutton Rules is another great Town Square Media podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.